So let's let's talk a little bit about you, Tyrone. Um, you've you've sort of obviously entered and exit exited the market a few times. Would you be open to sharing? Like, what what have you got in play at the moment? What investments do you actually hold? This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this special episode, I'm sharing the details of my own property journey with Selena Kilkarni joining me to offer her insights and wisdom. While exact figures have been edited out for privacy reasons, you'll hear how and when my interest in property developed starting with a family inspiration and a simple solitary property that kicked it all off. This episode is a little bit different as I'm the one on the hot seat and I'm so honored to have Selena Kilkani interview me. You don't often share much about your own investing journey. We get little bits of pieces of stories in, in different episodes that you share, but could you talk a little bit about what is the journey as a an adult investor? What, what does that look like for you? And maybe, you know, if you started investing at a younger age, how that's, you know, what's worked for you, what hasn't, what led you to become so passionate about property? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think where I would probably want to start firstly is where I started at a very young age to look at say uh, being sort of like an entrepreneur in business and that was greatly influenced by my parents because my parents were running businesses from a well, I mean, as soon as we, we kind of, as soon as they came, landed in Australia and uh, since I was born, they have been running businesses all their lives. So that influenced me thinking, okay, you know, business is the way to, to go because that's where you build a bit of wealth and then from there be able to invest that into property. Now, my father wasn't really that passionate about property, but he was passionate about doing and buying a home and renovating it and owning a, a, a property. And I think that was where I sort of got engaged in learning more about that side because <laughs> as a young age now, I think back at it and, and I don't even think this was probably even legal to get, it's almost like uh, child slavery <laughs> to, to help out with the renovations. But yeah, I think at a young age, around about 12 or 13 years old, my father got me involved in helping with the renovations around the house. So, it might be as simple as maybe just, you know, picking up the soil at the front when we're doing the landscaping at the back and, and you know, wheeling it around the wheelbarrow. <laughs> that was hard work. I never ever forget that. Or or helping him drill some holes and holding some of the hammers and the tools and punching into the wall so we can, you know, put things in and, and do things up. Even just helping with simple painting. All that, I was very much involved at a very young age and my father's a very, very hands-on type person. But what I didn't know was that what he was doing was every time he was actually renovating the house that we lived in, He's actually adding value and every time um, we moved and I, I can't say that we moved too often, we probably went from maybe every seven to yeah eight years, we stay in one place and then move. So, that that's pretty much on average what most people do. Anyway, every time we did, we moved into a bigger house and a bigger house and a bigger house and I'm thinking, wow, you know, how does dad afford to be able to do that? And it was a combination of the cash flow from his business and then also too from the renovations that he did with the house and I clearly remember that the place that we lived in when I was um, going to high school, yeah, high school stage, we we purchased a house around about say 
for memory, was about 880,000 back then. And that was good oh, 20 years ago. Wow, that would have been a lot of money. Yeah, it was. It was a very lot of money. It was also a very, very nice place that we lived in. And I didn't know, you know, at that young age, I just thought, you know, dad sends me in private school, you know, buys me a car, all that kind of stuff that you kind of take for granted because that's what, you know, your parents do. And then as, as, <laughs> so I was very, very lucky in that sense. And I always reflect back and go, you know, always grateful that my father looked after us in that sense because he worked really hard, ran a business for more than 20 plus years and I also was involved in the business to help him. And what I did notice was that as soon as we bought that place, the first thing he did was he got straight into it to renovating it. I'm like thinking, okay, dad, you know, just hold tight. Let's just settle in a little bit, you know, for at least a year or two so we can sort of get comfortable. But no, he went straight in and pretty much after about a couple of years um, with the business cash flow and, you know, his house renovations and all that, you know, he turned it into a very, very nice property there. And um, many years later, we got valued and it was like sold for like <laughs> So, you can see the value of just increasing value because of just, uh, you know, not only just increase in um, the market of capital growth, but also just the renovation it did. And the funny thing, <laughs> which was really surprising for us was literally a year later, the people that bought it off for us sold it for 3.7 mil. So, it was in a rising market. <laughs> yeah, wow. That would have been crazy money back then. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where part of the journey started. But at that same time, because I saw that was happening in the property market, I also was wanting to learn more and that's why I reached out to Steve McKnight and joined his results program. And at that point in time, I thought, okay, why don't I just learn from an expert like him who's bought like over hundreds of properties. And where I got started was sort of the cash, positive cash flow strategy that I initially went down that path. And I thought, oh, I'll buy a few of those and see how we go. So, I did start and that's where my first property purchase was, was you know, a simple $100,000 property that generated a cash flow, positive cash flow, about 10% return per annum. So, that was that was a really, really good start. Um, but the thing I didn't know and this is what I didn't, didn't realize until many, many years later was that I bought that one as positive cash flow, you know, and you have to keep buying more and more of these to be able to do it because in those kind of areas, you don't get capital growth. Uh, and, you know, sadly to say after about five years of holding to that property, I sold it again and yeah, didn't make any capital growth on it. But obviously with the cash flow, that was positive cash flow. So, it did pay off some of the loan and, you know, I was able to use those funds. So, that was an interesting one and that was also a mixed commercial, uh, residential on the top and commercial on the bottom as well too. So, that gave me insight into what it was like to get into a mixed, um, mixed property, I guess you can say on that side. And, and at that same time, I was... I guess pursuing more for cash flow because I was looking for passive income where you know I don't have to go out to full-time work and also run my business on the side. And I started doing what we call just subletting, you know, buy, uh, renting a property locally around where we lived. And um, ideally, I'd just target like a four or five bedroom house and then I basically sublet it out to, you know, students around the area because that was more of a student target. And, you know, in a very short period of time, I think about six months or so, I managed to pick up about five rentals and then sublet them all out and I was generating... For, for me, an additional say $500, $600 extra a week, which was pretty good for, for you know, a kid at uni. So, <laughs> I was happy with that. <laughs> so, that's where my journey really started but this is the thing I didn't realize and I wish I learned this earlier as well too and that's, that's where I guess these are some of the learning lessons was the power of capital growth and it was only many, many years later when I started speaking to a few of my other colleagues and friends because um, I got out of the market 
um, after a few of those because I, I just let them hold and we went and purchased our own um, principal place of residence, which we still hold, which is great. And um, we turned that one into investment property. But at that point in time, I didn't know much too much about capital growth in Sydney, nor did I know much about in, in Melbourne, Victoria. And when I purchased our principal place of residence within about say, 2011 to, to 2014, that's when I started to see a lot of capital growth in that property and then that's when it really hit me and struck me. That was kind of like an aha moment go, wow, I could actually make a lot more money just by buying a property, holding it and then just, you know, I guess get it in the market where you can get capital growth without having to do too much work in it. And that's when I realized, hold on, there's actually more to it than just buying a property, renovating it, you know, getting cash flow from it. It's actually the, the, the power of wealth building. So, during that time, that's when I, I bumped into a few other people who were just buying lots and lots of properties up in Queensland, you know, out in the sort of southeast of um, Queensland, down in Logan and yeah, Woodside and I think a lot of those places and, you know, I know guys have bought a portfolio of like 20 properties down up there and we're getting really positive cash flow and there's also been capital growth and that's where I jumped in and we realized, okay, this is probably an opportunity to be able to learn more about building a proper portfolio that I could actually, you know, grow it and, and build that asset base. So yeah, that's kind of where I started, I guess, um, in that side of things. And as then I've just kind of matured more looking at a combination of both trying to get a property that has capital growth, but also at the same time gives enough cash flow from the rental income to be able to cover its expenses. Because, you know, the last thing I want to do is buy a property where every month I've got to put, you know, extra money in it and hoping that have, have capital growth. And when I look back at it, this is more upon reflection on my father's property journey because he had purchased properties in Sydney that had what were really, really good properties. That They were really well located. Like he bought one down at King Street Wharf, but the timing of it was wrong. He bought it at the top of the market. And unfortunately, that particular property, he sold also at the wrong time. And I realized how important that was. Like, unfortunately, he lost about 200 odd thousand from that purchase because he bought it at the peak of the market and sold it at the wrong time. And imagine if he had actually held onto it for more than 10 years, he'd definitely be making two or three times over. But then he bought another property that was in Bergenhead Point, which is not far from that area close to the city, buying at the right time. It made more than $200,000 when he sold both those properties and kind of balanced out at the end of the day. But it goes to show how important it is to actually time going to the market at sort of a good time and like as an example right now, this current market that we're in, you know, from my experience, I've been through three booms already in my lifetime and this is the, the not the best time to be buying any property at all. You know, it's a good opportunity to be waiting and watching and, and ride the wave if you've got property to hold on to, if you need refinance or if you're looking to think about selling, this is the perfect time to do that but looking at buying property is, you know, too high of a market to be in. So, yeah, anyway, I've learned a lot being in the market now for that long. Yeah, I think um, there's some really uh, interesting reflections in, in what you've shared. I think the only, um, maybe if I was going to be devil's advocate, I think there's always opportunities in every market. So I, I, I don't want to discourage people from buying if if they're at the stage of the journey where, as you said, they, they need to build capital. I think there's always opportunities regardless of the market situation. And I'm, I'm probably less of a believer in timing and more of a believer of buying the right assets at the right time. And so in a really frothy, I think we're, we're going down rabbit holes here, but I think in a really frothy market like the one that we're in right now, 
you do have to be super careful that you don't chase the market and you don't invest from a place of FOMO. But I think if you take a, a different approach to the approach that everybody else is taking, there are still, you know, amazing opportunities to be found. Um, but you have to be more measured and grounded about it rather than kind of, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who are investing from a place of I've got to get on because I'm going to miss out on, you know, the, the market boom. But I do agree with you, like it, it is a time to be to be cautious and careful, but there are always good opportunities. It's it's more a function of how much time and energy are you prepared to put in to find those. But um, anyway, we've, we've massively, massively digressed. It's actually a very good point that you've raised there because, yeah, I probably should say it's probably timing in sort of markets like such as Sydney and Victoria and Melbourne and so forth. It's probably quite challenging to be able to find that because I speak to a lot of developers and they're saying it's just hard to be able to find a good block right now to be able to develop on because the price of property is too hard and it just doesn't stack up. But then again, you know, there are other opportunities that I'm in alternative investments at the moment and also, you know, in different states, there are fantastic opportunities. So, I probably should have phrased it saying that it depends on the market, exactly what you've said. So, I totally, totally agree with you on that side. So, let's let's talk a little bit about you, Tyrone. Um, you've, you've sort of obviously entered and exit, exited the market a few times. Would you be open to sharing like what, what have you got in play at the moment? What investments do you actually hold? Yeah, so at the moment, I've got two investment properties that I've got. That is one in New South Wales and the other one's in Victoria. Um, one is was initially our principal place of residence and that's how we kind of got started in the market. And I guess due to few circumstances and also knowing sort of the property market, we had to move out of that particular property and we, we just went out and started renting. And it was interesting because the timing was, was kind of you know right for us to do something like that because as we had a growing family i realized the townhouse that we bought which is a pretty large townhouse for a three-bedroom townhouse i was initially thinking to myself we could actually you know have our family raise everything in there but as we grew out and you know we're in now a four-bedroom house and it's still not big enough for all the stuff that we have <laughs> um yeah especially kids running around in this age it you kind of realize gosh it's actually timing was was good to actually take that step and move somewhere else to something a bit larger so we kept on to that and that one has has you know substantial capital growth in it so that's been great in that in the market of sydney when we first purchased it till now then we've got another one okay and what was that you, you purchased that many years ago by the sounds of it yeah we we purchased it that so honestly i could have paid that off but i decided not to because i looked at it and i spoke to the accountant saying look makes sense just um just pay interest on it and then just continue to roll over and, and put basically the funds that you accumulate in there in an offset account which it does offset at the moment i mean i i remember when i first purchased it because i was <laughs> i went in with a um a low dock loan because I, I my income at that point in time didn't show that i had enough to be able to get a full dock so it was an initial struggle and i remember the, the monthly repayments was about per month and i thought yeah that wasn't too bad to think but now it's down to like dollars a month i'm like wow so i'm guessing that one actually puts money in your pocket these days every year i'm paying tax on it <laughs> like bugger <laughs> oh well good problem to have um what about your what about your property in vic like tell me about that what's that worth what's the debt so that's a mixed uh residential commercial that one there we i i believe it's worth 
thousand based on roughly at the moment. I'm just waiting for the valuation to come back, but I, I suspect it is because when we purchased it at um, it's increased its value of rental yield up to 10% already and at market around there should usually yield about 7%. So we're commercial, as you know. We just base it on that kind of figure. So I, I adjusted it and I'm, I'm thinking it's probably worth around 1000 based on the rental yield currently and it's fully tenanted. And have you got any other bits and pieces in play like with your, your own alternative type stuff? On average, the ones that I've been getting is returning between 25 to 30%. Let's say you know thirty percent per annum is the highest. So let's, I'd probably be conserving just say an average. It's like twenty five percent just to factor in say time in time out of the market for those ones. I think that gives me a pretty good picture of uh, of what you have. Um, I think would it be really useful is to just talk a little bit about what is it you're trying to achieve. Like I'd love to know a bit about like. You know, what is the dream outcome from an investment point of view look like for you? Is it about holding a certain volume of properties? Is it about a cash outcome? Is it about a getting to a certain net worth? What are your aspirations? For me, it's not really a certain, I guess, amount of properties and stuff. Because initially, when I first were delving into properties, I thought, fantastic, it would be great to have like, you know, 100 properties. But after interviewing so many investors and, and so forth, it's not about the amount of properties to hold. It's actually what is the actual amount that would give you a lifestyle that you'd be comfortable to live with. Um, a very comfortable lifestyle, I think I'd be looking at between two to $300,000 a year and that is really my ultimate goal. So if I can look at generating income, uh, passive income per year of say 300 comfortably, thousand from my investments, whether it be in the portfolio or whether it be from alternative investments, I'll be very, very um, comfortable, extremely comfortable and, and that would allow me to be able to spend my time um, doing other things I really want to do, whether it be spend time, more of my time with my family or doing some of the really interesting, you know, techie stuff that I want to get into for, I guess, helping the environment and, you know, generating clean energy or green, green kind of projects because that's stuff I'm really passionate about. I just want to see, I guess, massive changes for our planet because we're going in the wrong direction, unfortunately, at the moment and we need to make some substantial changes. So, yeah, that's my passion project down that track. Coming up after the break, Kilkarni demonstrates how money and time intersect. So, I thought this would be a useful uh, exercise, not just for, for your benefit, for, but for anyone listening. The way that I see the wealth creation game, typically for most people, if this is money and this is time. We discuss her favorite game, well known among many listeners. I call that part one of the game. Part two of the game, I'll call this part two, is change the trajectory of the income. We delve deeper into the strategy I'm pursuing at this point in time. I think the game that you're playing with the alternative space at the moment is incredibly lucrative but requires a high degree of activity from you. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, Property Investor. Is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. 
Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. So we're back. Selena is looking to delve deeper into my current plan. A lot of people I speak to, they've got clarity about the uh, the number um, but not necessarily what would come after that. So that that's actually a really important piece. Tell me, um, what is your current plan to get you to that point and, and when do you think you're going to get there? Because um, you've obviously got, um, you know, some capital to play with. You've got um, some cash free and clear, which is recycling through your your current model and access to alternative strategies. Is your is your game plan really clear or are you being a bit more organic about it? To be honest, it's more organic at this point in time. Hence the reason why I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just very fortunate that I was able to meet some really great people through the podcast. So it allowed me to be able to come across a lot of these opportunities because when I first read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of the things he was saying about was build passive income and it's always been embedded in my head for a long, long time. But the question was, is where do you find these type of passive incomes? Because he was talking examples in there, just very basic examples that he was getting year on year 10% return, you know. And I was looking everywhere for them. I couldn't find them in the bank. I couldn't find them in, in super funds. I couldn't find them anywhere. And you know, obviously through property, we could do it, but that was through capital growth. And sometimes you just can't access that growth or that, that capital very quickly because sometimes it takes 10 years or so for that to happen. Whereas what I've now discovered is that there are lots of different opportunities out there through alternative investments to be able to access that kind of, I guess, return in a short period of time rather than to wait 10 years, I could probably access it within say 12 months or so and then allow me to compound that much quicker. So very fortunately in the last two years, the funds that I've been doing, you know, the funds I've just mentioned there have been because of the compounding effect that's happened so quickly and also through the business that I've generated a lot more cash or cash flow and say I could actually just reinvest it and that's what I've been doing and that's been sort of the strategies whatever cash flow positive cash flow that I have or excess cash I have in the business I've just been constantly reinvesting it to compound it much faster would it be okay if I share my screen with you uh, Tyrone I'd love to show you show you a couple of things let's see if this works before my iPad dies as well I notice there's only 12 percent so I've been taking notes as we speak. So I, I thought this would be a useful uh, exercise, not just for, for your benefit, for, but for anyone listening. The way that I see the wealth creation game, typically for most people, if this is money and this is time, and let's imagine this is when you start work. What happens is most people come into you know the workforce, whether it's their own business or otherwise, and they, they kind of intellectually understand, like, I should be building um, assets. So what happens is they, they, they go away and they hope that sometime in the future, and I use this word very loosely, but at retirement, I say retirement, but most entrepreneurs think of retirement as a dirty word. At some point in the future, they'll have, you know, what, what I call a, a nest egg of some variety, so some capital. Now, the journey to get to there often people are prepared to tolerate negative cash flow when they first start out. Um, and if we do a blue line here, let's say the blue line represents living expenses. 
So your blue line is, you know, your living expenses are gonna oops, go up gradually every year. Now, as I said, what happens when we first get into the work uh, to investing, we, we're okay to tolerate negative return. That's pretty commonplace. And what we're hoping for is that by the time we reach uh, some point in time retirement, and I, I should point out, even though I, I use the word loosely, it, it's like when you get to choose whether you work or not, this could be age 30, this could be age 40, this could be age 65, be, you know, whatever it is. But the hope is that the pink line, which represents the cash flow coming off your investments, is at least equal to your living expenses. That's the hope. The dream, of course, is this. The dream is this. The dream is that your uh, assets are generating way more income than, than you actually need. The reality, unfortunately, that I've witnessed after you know, 12 years of working with hundreds and hundreds of investors is this, where the income coming off your asset base is less than what you need to live. Now, the unfortunate sad part about that is that if you're in the situation where you have a negative gap, the only alternative that these people have, and I've seen it time and time again, is to sell down those assets. So they start to sell down those assets. And I don't want to be grim about this, but let's imagine this represents death. The hope becomes this. I really hope that I end up with enough capital to last me for the years that I live. The unfortunate part or fortunate is you don't know when you're going to die. So what these people who have that negative thing hope is that before they die, there's still something left for them to leave behind. And unfortunately, one of the reasons I think Australians and New Zealanders are not getting wealthier is because they get to a point where they have to eat the cow, as you know, you've heard me use that expression. Unfortunately, the reality looks like this, and I'll call this dependency. Dependency, where you basically run out of assets and capital before you die, and then you end up having to rely on your kids or the government or whoever. The flip side to this, though, is that if you were in that lucky territory of, of having enough income coming off your investments when you decide to retire, as long as you can stay above that line, and let's imagine from this point in time, you decide, well, I'm not going to hustle as hard. I'm just going to you know, maybe reduce the intensity of my investing efforts, and maybe the trajectory of those assets is less steep from that point. The big takeaway that I, I want people to understand is that this here, this is where legacy lives. If you can maintain an, a, an investment asset base. So the goal or the game that I play is how do you structure in a way that makes it so much easier for the recipients of your wealth in the future to actually keep it going, to not leave them in a situation where, you know, I've heard about many people investing $10 million properties in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And they got no choice but to sell because they can't afford the rates and they need the money. So um, if, if I think about the role of alternative, and this is where it gets very sexy, let's imagine this is today and, and I'll, just, uh, I'll just take these out for now. L let's say that this, is, this represents today and this represents plus five years from today. 
the goal that I'm trying to have with people is everybody recognizes the three parts to the game. And you and I have talked about this before. The part, part, the first part of the game, let's do this in purple, is I need to build some capital. And so you've you've done that piece. You've already built the capital. The second part of the game, which I think is the piece that most investors are not aware of, is that if you're at this point in time here, the goal of alternative is to do this. That's the goal. Wow. What I'm seeing is phenomenal. If people are listening to this, you got to hop on and watch this video. <laughs> so just to be clear, and I know you understand this, Tyrone, this part of the game is build capital. You can't avoid that piece. And that's part one, part one of the game. I call that part one of the game. Part two of the game, I'll call this part two, is change the trajectory of the income. Right? So let's do this. Instead of waiting 20, 30 years for those two lines to intersect organically, let's let's change things and, and make them intersect quicker. And then the third part of the game is this. Like, and it could take any shape that you want, but it's this. This is part three of the game. Part three of the game. Whoops, I'm doing that in the wrong color. Part three of the game. Now, when you look at this, I just think how awesome would it be to put yourself in a situation where you are owning an investment portfolio, which is generating more income than you need to live well before retirement age. That sounds very, very sexy. <laughs> From my observation, you're already playing part two of the game. And in fact, you, you've already kind of suggested that you're creating way more income than you need to live already. So you're, for all intensive purposes, you've, you've developed that level of financial freedom that most investors don't have. My observation, and if I were to look at your situation from a point of vulnerability, where do I see the vulnerabilities? The vulnerabilities as I see it is you're possibly not as well diversified as potentially um, I think you could be. Um, and I think the game for you, as you and I both know, is, um, you know, I believe that uh, true wealth and financial freedom is coveted by a, a few and it's because they know the ultimate secret is really relationship building you know and and the reason that people come to you and that people come to me is they want to leverage the value of the networks and trusted relationships that we have so you are already doing all the right things um, I think you know, you're going to get to a point very soon where the, the flavor of the game will change and the focus will become more on how do I take the income that I'm that I'm getting and kind of start to focus more on converting those into annuities, meaning income streams that just run forever rather than stopping and starting. Um, so right now you're you're a little you're, you're reasonably active. The sorts of deals that you do require effort and they come to fruition over and over. So the game for you is now, how do I transition into to game part three of the game? But I just wanted to share that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I can really, really relate to what you've just shown to me. And that that's kind of where I 
it, you know, my, my knowledge behind it is, is, is not as strong in that side. And that's what I would love to be able to generate a little bit more understanding in how that side works. Because now I understand and I see why people have uh, really successful investors built such a large portfolio, you know, 10, 20, 30 properties in their portfolio because that produces the regular income or that continuous income. You know, as long as the property manager is looking after properties and tenants are in there, that's pretty much long-term wealth there. But what, what I've done, I guess, in my situation is that, you know, I've only got very limited amount of properties in there, but I'm using very active, let's say, um, alternative strategies to be able to build up even more capital and compounding that faster. But I want to put that back into essentially either pay down my portfolio, which will generate, you know, I think I did a quick calculation. It should generate the equivalent actually of what I'm be earning passively. So if I paid everything down, I should get at least between, yeah, 10% to, to 11% of the portfolio's worth. I think the game that you're playing with the alternative space at the moment is incredibly lucrative, but requires a high degree of activity from you. I think the ultimate game, when you move into part three, the, the kind of the ethos that I have and the people that I work with is how do you build predictable, sustainable passive income from a multitude of investments that are both diverse from a strategy point of view, geography, liquidity, um, that give you leverage, that help you develop legacy. And so that's a, you can sort of start to see why, you know, the people that I work with, it's part, part one of the game, which is build capital. There's no avoiding it. You have to do it. Um, and so, you know, I can certainly support people in that part of the game, but the place that I choose to kind of focus on is part two and part three, um, because I think that's where I can give the best the best value and the best ROI to people. So, you know, for people who are listening to this, please don't feel that the, the foray into alternative investments is where you have to begin. It isn't. One of the things we have the, if I tell you my views on the Australian and investing landscape is dedicated property investing market, um, our appetite for investing is unparalleled. Um, there are opportunities to make fairly substantial amounts of capital growth and ratchet up your net worth in, you know, less than 10 years, you could do something meaningful. Um, but it's also the worst in the world um, because it's so, there's so many people trying to fish from a very small pond. So at some point you need to broaden your approach. And you and I both know people, we have mutual contacts who have portfolios in excess of $20 million and they're on negative $300,000 a year cash flow because their worldview is that the only way I'm going to hit my goal is if I continue to ratchet up my net worth. And what I'm saying, which is fairly contrarian, is you don't necessarily need a huge net worth. What you need is capital that actually works for you, even if it's just a small percentage of your capital that works at a reasonable level. Now, a lot of the stuff you're doing, you're chasing uh, deals that offer phenomenal returns. I'm a little bit more, you know, old in the tooth and a bit more conservative. So I'm looking for typically eight to 12% net returns. And I'm happy with that because I'm in, I'm in stage three now, which is, I don't want any, I've got too many properties. I've not too many, but I've got enough property. Um, I do like to dabble in the odd development, but my focus is how can I take the income that I have and just convert it into annuities. Um, and so that's part three of the game. So yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to share. That's fantastic. And I mean, it kind of opens up 
my my eyes to see and think of it in a different light because as I'm sort of at the moment sitting in that stage two or part two of that stage, I start to think, okay, why would I, why would I guess switch over to get something at a lower return? But that's that's the give or take that I have to do because then I wouldn't have to be looking at actively looking for those deals. I could just basically just put them in there and it's passive. And that's that's as you said, the annuity. And that's where I've got got to learn a little bit more. I mean, it sounds simple in conceptually. But- Let me tell you, it's it's not building wealth is not rocket science, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And if I were to look at your situation, the dilemma that you have is uh, you know, you're using alternative investments to not only generate strong income, but there's an element of let me just use it to to build some capital rapidly as well. So that you know, you've you've sort of got one foot in each camp. So part of you would be torn with by the idea of let me let me continue to build my capital base, but intellectually you understand the longer game is about building those you know those cash flow and income streams. So my suggestion is um, you've done a fabulous job and I think de- definitely what your podcast has done is given you access to some, some really good people. Um, it's certainly as well, I think the, the lessons would be about distinguishing the wood from the trees and I think one of the biggest challenges for investors is distinguishing between marketing and real, you know, fact, yeah, what's real. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, you would be, one of the less green people in, in that regard as well. So I think, you know, you're doing all the right things to be financially, fr- I mean, you are by all intents purposes, you could be, you could put your feet up tomorrow, but I think the stability in your portfolio could do with a little bit of reinforcement and um, just a, a little bit more of a diversification play. But the question that you need to always be asking yourself is, um, do I trade time to build a bit more capital or do I really just knuckle down and start building those annuities now? And that's that's always a personal decision. And, and my role, as I see it, is never to be prescriptive. It's always just to provoke you to think um, about those sorts of things and, and ask you the questions which will really help you bring clarity to your actions. Because I think, you know, the biggest challenge that most investors have is they invest blindly. They listen to what the media says. They listen to the you know, the conversations that go on in the spruiking and property world that are all about more is better. And, you know, whether you're worth $5 million or $10 million, it's irrelevant if you don't actually have that capital working for you. And far too many investors, in my opinion, carry big fat lazy pandas, meaning high value assets that just sit around and eat and don't do much for you. Unless you cash it out, it, it's pretty pointless. It's like, um, I guess, in the startup world, the, the tech world, you know, there's a lot, a lot of times they come and look at the company and they say, oh, this company is valued at $100 million. But ultimately, it's it's a valuation that isn't true value until, you know, they actually sell it to another co- company to actually cash that up. So, you know, you could literally be sitting on a negative cash flow in the business <laughs> worth $100 million, but that's useless because, you know, you think, these companies have just started up and generating, say, you know, valuation of 100 million, but they're constantly saying, you know, we're running out of money because we just can't pay all our staff down. They're always, you know, it, it's the same issue here is that it's it's great to have a huge net base, but if you can't access that cash flow to be able to sustain or, or you know, ultimately pay for a lifestyle to keep you living, 
then what's the point really about building this portfolio? Because ultimately, uh, from my perspective anyway, I thought I'd be building this portfolio so that way I could actually have financial freedom, have passive income. So therefore, I don't have to worry about covering you know our daily leads i can focus on other things like giving back helping people even to be able to help and say you know help out with my family and like when i'm saying not my immediate family but my extended family you know then my, my parents are going to retirement and um you know my, my wife's going to uh, mom's already in retirement and unfortunately just their super fund alone isn't enough going to be able to you know cover their their life so i'd love to be able to help them and that's yeah it's sad i mean i can see it from so many different perspectives and as i said my, my family i grew up in a very mid, medium class or middle class family and my father built up a very great asset base but <laughs> looking back at it reflecting he's still working unfortunately and he's like 60 something now and he's still working you know full time when he's got such a large asset base and i just scratched my head going <laughs> how does that work and, and that, that's why I just flipped it on the coin. As you know, you know, I've just mentioned, I've only got two properties valued at 1.5, but the income that I'm generating from the alternative investments and potentially if I sold everything down and paid things off into the portfolio, you know, it should be enough to cover and, and, you know, be financially free. I think the thing to just point out is there's no right or wrong, Tyrone. Like there's no like one way is the right way. I think that ultimately, you know, the exercise and the journey of, of investing is to decide what is what is most important to you and what kind of a provider are you? Are you someone who, like you, has to think about not only providing for yourself, but you've got your family, you've got your parents, you, you possibly have siblings that haven't done as well as you. And so the, you know, the the journey of, you know, and I use the word, you know, loosely freedom, a freedom warrior is someone who wants to have influence and impact in their tribe. It's not just about the, um, you know, the self, you know, getting to a point where you could, you know, sip pina coladas all day, every day. Um, it, it's it's really about, yeah, well, it's about what kind of a, a leader do you want to be with your wealth? And, you know, wealth is only one dimension. There's there's many other ways to create legacy and and, you know, have impact. But you know, if you're talking about wanting to, you know, affect climate change, that requires bandwidth and time and energy. And, and so not having to worry about your baseline living expenses is is part of the journey. Yeah, totally. Could, could I also maybe just explore as well, since we've sort of talked a little bit about, I guess, the goal for me, you know, I'm, I'm just really interested to see. So, as I said, I wanted to achieve, say, you know, an income or passive income, say 300000 say in five years or whatever it is. I'm trying to figure out what kind of strategies I need to look at to do to be able to change that up. And I know there's not just one right strategy, but there'll be probably multiple ways we can look at it. Just like how I guess we go through the million dollar mixing desk, that gave, opened up my eyes on what was possible and the different ways we could do it. But what would be sort of, I guess, maybe from your point of view, a few ideas that you can sort of maybe implant in my head to have a think about, because I'm just thinking more and more about it now. How do I achieve that goal? While we're here, let me share my screen with you again, just so you can understand roughly what I'm talking about. One of the questions I often ask people is, you know, um, how much uh, time do you need to have before you, you're like, you'd like the the freedom to choose whether you work or not? And typically my goal is to get people to a place of, you know, financial freedom within five years. 
Now, this little calculator is is a really basic calculator, but it basically said, and this is the last person's numbers, for if I had 400,000 today, and I went out and I put it into a series of opportunities that would only say a 10% return on average. So you might go into some deals that give you 12% and some that eight and some that are 15 and some that are 18, but let's say average 10. And then you had a capacity to find dividends in your business of say 100,000 every year to boost your investment. But you, you kind of went, look, I don't really need that money for the next five years. So the first decision is, can you afford to reinvest for at least five years versus pulling the money off the table? And most people would say, yeah, I could get by for five years. And so really what this calculator shows is if you if you took that money and you reinvested it every year, by the end of year five, that would be throwing off a $125,000 annuity if you did it well. There are no other methods out there. And I feel like I've tried it all. You know, I've tried developments and all sorts of different things, you know, flipping properties and buying holes and all sorts of stuff. And I, I feel like the, the methods around the alternative investment, if you diversify really well, if you work with A-grade operators, if you really take the time to make sure that you're the one making the decision and that the, the quality of the, the people that you work with are going to give you access, you know, that's what's going to give you the edge, then, then this is just not a complex uh, and, and really, and I just want to kind of say this is just meant to give you a flavour of what's possible. It's not meant to. And so, you know, this isn't as lucrative as the stuff that you're doing, but this is more about that transition to I don't want to hustle so hard I want to take on less risk. I'm looking for cash flow. So this isn't a fit for everyone. And, you know, your, your decision that you need to make, Tyrone, is, is really about what, what is important to you right now and what is your timeline? Like, you know, have you even considered I want to be in a position of game over by um, five years is, you know, for me the outside. When I work with people, I, I try and say, look, Let's try and get you to where you want to go in in five years or less. But, you know, your journey is you're probably sitting on a what I would call a minimum viable capital balance. The decision over the next period of time is, do you kind of keep one foot in each camp? Do you sort of continue to allow your capital to build in the background while also building um, cash flow and annuities? Or do you kind of just go, no, I'm done. I've got enough capital. I don't I don't want to do that. And um, no one can make that decision for you except for you. That's definitely made, given me some ideas to think about because ultimately what I do want to do is, yeah, I mean, just have these annuities put aside and just not have to worry about it. And they'll be covering all the daily living expenses and then just focus on whatever extra cash flow to put my time and energy into you know other projects I want to do. And I mean, like what I'm currently doing at the moment is, is fantastic. You know, I, I love what I do. And that's why I'm still also working at a, at a university because I'm passionate about what I do there too. So it's just actually just good to have both, I guess, some at this point. But it, there will be a certain time when I go, okay, you know, it's going to be too much. I don't have enough time. And time is the problem at the moment. It's not about the, the capital, I guess you can say. It's the time to be able to put effort into it. I feel first and foremost, I'm, I'm a strategist. And I think that the challenge I face is that when people speak to me, they're all always, they start with like, show me the deals. Like, can you just show me the deals? 
And if if you think about the exercise that, that we've kind of shone the light on today with you, I think there are some questions that need to be explored and answered before you worry about what the deals are. And unfortunately, I think we our culture has evolved in such a way that we think if we found the right deal that that would solve the problem. But I kind of feel like you've got to think about what what's the game? What game are you playing? What's the strategy? And then worry about the minutia of, of what are the deals. Definitely true what you've said there. And it's made me think as well too that i got to take a step back and work on the strategy a little bit more and then fit the deals in because as you know deal flow for me is not a problem i can get access to those deals quite easily and a lot of investors who work with me as well get access to those deals too it's now just really consolidating and understanding what this goal is make it even more succinct and then put that strategy in place on how to achieve it in say links five years probably be less you know that that's i guess something i need to figure out that's where my numbers brain logic thinking that spreadsheet and start punching some numbers in to see what it looks like comes into play i'm already thinking about in my head how how does this all work Thank you so much to Selena Kilkarni for joining me to discuss my personal investment journey and offering her valuable insights on this special episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.